the radical left, the Marxists, the anarchists, the agitators, the looters, and people who, in many instances, have absolutely no clue what they are doing. Welcome to What Radicalized You, a podcast of stories and experiences that have shaped people's ideas about our world and the way society should function. We recorded an episode in January of this year where I discussed what radicalized me. Um, and what social justice and equity would look like in public education, the challenges that teachers face teaching in the system. And I also had briefly shared an experience from my childhood living in Palestine um, growing up and some of my experiences being Palestinian in the diaspora. Being a woman in a globally patriarchal society we know that there is not a welcoming space for the truth, advocacy, and outspokenness um, because these are not attributes that benefit people who are in power, um, which happen to be the very people who cause harm to society. So when we are adding to the intersectional identities of being a woman, Palestinian, Muslim, and an educator, not to mention that teachers um, in, in our society are undervalued and attacked. Um, I have faced experiences um, of backlash. One recent experience to recap since our first session until now was where I was attacked for speaking the truth on Palestine and continuing to teach about the settler colonialism, occupation, home demolitions, and the realities of Palestinians in Palestine through social media and through presentations, panels, and talks like this one here. The attacks I'm referring to took place in February of this year. So about a month or so after we had our, our talk. And so I had received news regarding false accusations posted about me on a website, which was also posted on their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and of this one particular group. <clears throat> and I discovered that these posts included pictures of me with false accusations, some of which were reposted several times in an attempt to defame my character and silence me. I learned that there were many others that this group had labeled as anti-Semitic on their site, including um, people and organizations we're all very familiar with, like Dr. Cornel West and Amnesty International. Criticizing oppressive regimes is not the equivalent of hatred towards a religious group. So as a result of the false claims that were made about me and my language being manipulated from my Instagram posts and talks, podcast interviews, actually including some of the things that I had shared in, in my podcast here with What Radicalized You from January, that, that was one of the many things that were where my language was manipulated and in an effort to use that against me for speaking up on Palestine. Also including a talk where I was on a panel with Dr. Cornell West in July of 2021. And ironically enough, during that interview, 
Um, I asked Dr. West how he responds to being labeled anti-Semitic for his support of Palestine. And then I found myself months later, you know, experiencing the same thing. So this included that my workplaces were bombarded by over a hundred calls and emails asking that I no longer continue my teaching. And I experienced harassment for several weeks in response to those February attacks. It included receiving more than usual hateful emails, messages on social media, and having false information posted about me and circulating. As a result, my workplaces looked into my work on Palestine, which by the way is not related to my teaching. And so they looked into my work on Palestine and everything that I had written or said related to the topic was looked into. And although this felt like a violating experience, it was necessary in order to negate these claims from that Zionist organization. And I'm confident that everyone who looked into the things that I've shared and worked on related to Palestine learned um, from having done this initial search on me. And in turn, there was no investigation or suspension that took place regarding my work because none of my language was considered hateful. I will add that at the time I was in the process of getting a contract renewed with a particular university that I had done work for in the past, and they chose in response to this not to renew. And they never publicly said that it was because of this, but it came right after and was clear to me. And so, you know, there is a difference between being hateful and then teaching the truth and discussing my experience as a Palestinian in the diaspora and talking about the experiences of my people under settler colonialism and occupation of the Zionist settler state. Um, the danger was never in me being outspoken about my identity and my support of a liberated Palestine. What in fact is dangerous is when groups like this one put women in positions to be threatened, and, and especially women who are visibly Muslim in this case, um, to become targets of hate crimes and harassment. I knew during that experience months ago that this was an attempt to silence me as a woman, a Palestinian, an educator, and a Muslim. And it's part of the battle of being Palestinian in the diaspora and being vocal, which I consider is an obligation of mine. For Palestinians living in the diaspora, there are risks in speaking up publicly about Palestine. These risks include varying degrees of public perception to not being employed and having our livelihood impacted. It is a belief of mine that every Palestinian and actual supporter of Palestine welcomes these risks of speaking up. And it's disheartening to see, for instance, that there are many Palestinians in the diaspora in this country, for instance, who actively choose the illusion of white acceptance over possibly causing a rift in their work and in academia and to academia-related relationships 
if they were to take an initiative towards educating and organizing for the Palestinian cause. It's not rare to come across people who claim to support the Palestinian struggle, but also do not have any follow-up and action. And the action can look like different things. It could be teaching, organizing, funding basic necessities, especially those of children in Palestine, volunteering, attending rallies, forming reading and discussion groups, and more. But with this particular group of so-called supporters who I associate with, you know, performative activism, you'll find that their language also normalizes settler colonialism. And oftentimes these are the same people who seek that impossible attainment of proximity to acceptance based on Western standards. One example of normalization looks like describing the settler colonial Zionist state as only an apartheid state, which suggests that Palestinians want equality to the oppressor and colonizer, as opposed to wanting liberation. And even if we were to just look at the equality piece, even that is not an option with an entity which which does not encompass the value of equal rights. And so even that in itself is difficult to process because it's not something that's an option for the Palestinian people or for any oppressed people to rely on their freedom and liberation based on the entity that is colonizing and um, working towards erasure of that people. People can certainly, however, make the shift and recognize and learn how to partake in supporting and speaking up on Palestine. My purpose is not to be critical, but to share that these are unfortunately some of the realities. So now for Palestinians who do speak up on Palestine, as well as marginalized people who support the liberation of Palestine, there is most certainly a risk related to our livelihood being impacted and to being falsely accused of hatred of anti-Semitism, which is ironic because people who support liberation tend to have the most empathy towards other groups who are also seeking liberation. If I use myself for the sake of the example, the challenges that I faced and that I anticipate to continue to face are truly minimal in comparison to Palestinians being imprisoned and murdered for resisting Zionist settler colonialism and actively um, seeking the liberation of Palestine. No amount of consequence in response to teaching the truth on Palestine and working to create awareness or organizing or whatever capacity people are able to contribute will always be minimal or nothing really in comparison to people who are living on the ground in Palestine. The majority of Palestinian people in Palestine, the Palestinian authority and their supporters being excluded from this because of their betrayal to their people and the majority serve the Palestinian cause and their risk in paying that price with their homes, children, and actual lives cannot be compared to our risks living in the diaspora and facing these possible consequences of our livelihoods being impacted 
And it's not to diminish that because because it's not it's it's difficult, especially when we have families and we have responsibilities and we have other obligations to meet. However, in comparison to what our Palestinian brothers and sisters experience in the homeland, we certainly cannot compare the backlash that we're facing to theirs. As far as liberals are concerned in the context of the, this country, I think that for any of us who support the Palestinian movement or even any movement that is um, in support of a liberation of a people, whether that's black liberation or um, liberation of Hawaii or Puerto Rico or a, another place around, around the world, um, we have observed that more and more it has been confirmed that the right and the left wing parties in, in this country are one of the same. The, the one difference I will say that um, many of us have seen is that for people who say that they're liberal, they might be a little more outspoken on things like Roe v. Wade or... Um, Occasionally, we might see a performative support towards the LGBTQ community or in regards to women or Black Lives Matter. And it's important to note that this performative activism is so shallow and really only goes so far. It might be the farthest might be that someone is sharing a post about something on their social media or perhaps having a conversation and we're not really seeing that this activism is extending anywhere else in the real world. And what's also problematic is that liberals will, as a collective, choose which issues in the world are worth their attention. And so as a collective, they are and of the same of the right-wing party because their care and empathy does not extend outside of who they are and their identity. An example of this that, that we've all seen in, in the last months is this overextending empathy towards uh, Ukraine and then no mention of people in Palestine. People in Palestine, in particular in Gaza, especially children, we saw like this kind of sympathy and empathy extended towards children in Ukraine impacted by war, but not children in Gaza impacted by settler colonialism. And so I think that truly that is a reflection of people who align themselves with parties that claim to, to be liberal. I think something that is really important to recognize is that Palestine does not need to be compared to other struggles in order for the West and those in power to determine the value of Palestine. So I think that, you know, it's interesting to say that, to, for us to observe that liberals as a collective will only care about other people who look like them. However, people who support the liberation of Palestine are not waiting on liberals or on any Western government to recognize their value. Our value does not come from comparison and recognition of uh, politicians and governments and institutions. Those entities that lack humanity 
make an active choice every single day when they choose not to support the liberation of Palestine. In fact, the existence of Palestine allows us to show our humanity and governments and celebrities cannot serve Palestine because Palestine serves the people. Palestinians face colonialism and imperialism, displacement, aggression, land theft, unlawful imprisonment, home demolitions, limited access to life, racism, and erasure, among many other injustices. And the world in its entirety is aware that this has been ongoing for over 75 years. And so when we as Palestinians in the diaspora and Palestinians at home and people who support the Palestinian movement make observations such as this performative activism extended to women and other marginalized groups, we, are, we also recognize that our value does not come from these people, um, liber liberals in particular in this case. Comparisons to war that impact the lives of Europeans is not going to be what makes people recognize the humanity of Palestinians. People who need that comparison to understand the theft of life still would not be able to understand the value of Palestine. So I would not even engage in a conversation where I am going to convince someone that Palestinian life is just as worthy as life of people who are white or white passing. It would be a disservice to the Palestinian movement to engage in that kind of discourse. There are many ways to approach how non-Palestinians can support and play a role in the Palestinian movement. I'm going to share a few of these for those who are not Palestinian and want to support the movement of a free Palestine. First, we want to be clear on what a free Palestine means. So this includes freedom from colonialism, imperialism, occupation, and Zionism. This also means a free Palestine from violence, supremacy, and open-air imprisonment. This also includes the belief that Palestine must be liberated and have self-determination and self-autonomy. The belief that Jerusalem is the capital of Palestine, the right of return, and the right to resistance and revolution. And I think that it's very important for us to recognize that this is what it means when we say we want to free Palestine. It does not mean having slightly more rights given by the occupier and colonizer. It does not mean giving Palestinians some rights with the involvement of Western governments and Arab and Muslim neighboring governments who have proven over and over again to betray the Palestinian people. So just as a note, as a collective, as a society, we are not nearly as quote unquote liberal or progressive as we might think we are, especially when it comes to action over words and what liberation actually means. So the first approach to this is recognizing that the truth is more significant than the feelings and comfort of people who are oppressive. For instance, people who might be well-intentioned could claim to be against white supremacy in the context of this country, but they might not actually support black liberation for the fear of hurting those in power, hurting their feelings while black and brown bodies are in this country are 
are being brutalized. This kind of performative and surface level meaningless support is inauthentic and centers the oppressor. Perhaps people as a collective choose this route in exchange for an illusion of being accepted by those in power. And the same applies in Palestine and other places like Western Sahara, Hawaii, Puerto Rico. The focus for people who are well-intentioned and want to support the Palestinian movement becomes conflicted because they're struggling with the fact that they also want to protect Zionism and colonialism and will in fact oftentimes choose neutrality in conversations in their circles over calling the settler Zionist state what it is. So essentially my first suggestion for non-Palestinians who want to play a role in supporting the Palestinian movement is to, is to tell the truth, to, to acknowledge the truth within yourself and to talk about that in your circles and to teach that and to develop your awareness on that. Non-Palestinians can support Palestine by educating others with this lens of truth. And this includes not only using the word apartheid to describe Palestine with this isolated word, which again suggests that Palestinians want equality to their oppressor. We know in the context of the United States that that's not possible to begin with. But even with that aside, Palestinians want a liberated Palestine and not for the Israeli government to choose when and how much basic human rights they should have. So this also includes not using language with words like complicated or conflict to describe erasure and ethnic cleansing. The truth is beyond clear and the Palestinian movement is not in need of anyone who chooses neutrality. We are talking about a people who are one of the strongest in their resistance. Palestinians do not have the support of the Palestinian Authority, which is a political party in Palestine approved by the US and the Israeli government. They do not have the support of neighboring Arab and Muslim nations or of any Western countries. This is all to say that partial and performative support is not wanted or needed in this movement. A second suggestion would be to follow journalists and activists in Palestine, as opposed to news organizations that are run by non-Palestinians and who have also never experienced living in Palestine. So for instance, if I want to read about the immigrant experience in the US, my response would not be to seek a white cisgender man for that experience. And so in our learning, and then more importantly, unlearning, we should be seeking authentic ways to do that. And there are plenty of brilliant Palestinian journalists and activists and people that we can learn from and so that we can follow their experiences. And this ties to the first suggestion of examining this for what it is and looking at it with that lens of truth. My third and final suggestion would be to recognize that if you are a person with empathy because you care about the liberation of a people in their land that is not a people in a land that you personally identify with, it's important to take that empathy and to find a way that we can individually and collectively support Palestine. And then especially, obviously, when it's not trending, Right, like we see that it's so much more popular for people to post and share things about what's happening in Palestine when it happens to be the thing that's popular at that time. But we need 
to have this kind of awareness and truth telling and educating others and support consistently. Oftentimes for people that are Palestinian, we're much more likely to be sent to be censored when it comes to sharing about Palestine. And so using your privilege in in being a non-Palestinian to share about Palestine would be a way to help spread this kind of awareness and support. And also really keeping in mind that Palestine ultimately serves us and we are not serving Palestine. We are not doing a favor to Palestinians in Palestine or to the movement of Palestine. Palestine allows us to have empathy and care and to also witness some of the most resilient people in the world and including of course in Gaza. And so by focusing on the truth and learning and again unlearning which is also always more challenging for us examining palestine with that lens of truth even when it's uncomfortable even when it's really uncomfortable for some of us in our spaces to call the settler zionist regime what it is for many people it might look like a rifts in some of their personal relationships and something that we should also really be asking ourselves is, are we trying to have authentic or inauthentic relationships with people around us? What is it ultimately that matters? And then again, following journalists and activists in Palestine, you can also certainly do that with Palestinians in the diaspora, but for the more really actual experience, you'd want to find people that are living in Palestine who are, are so brave and literally risking their lives to show us their experiences. And then again, finally, recognizing that if you are a person or a group that has empathy and you are not Palestinian and you still are able to have empathy and choose to support the Palestinian movement, thinking about how you can support Palestine either individually or collectively.